Good morning again, everybody. So good to have you with us. We're continuing our series on Ephesians. I've got a lot to cover this morning, so I'm just going to just get straight into it because uh, the first service I ran out of a bit of time, and uh, I don't want to do that now in the second service. And so we are looking at Ephesians 4 from verses 1 to 6. And if you look at your Bible, you'll probably find a heading there where it says something like this, walk in unity or unity in the body of Christ or unity and maturity in the body of Christ, unity in the body. And so obviously as we unpack this, these six verses, what we're going to talk about this morning is unity, unity in God's church. You know, as a follower of Jesus Christ, the thing that you and I need to understand is that when Jesus saves us, he doesn't just save us so that we're going to go to heaven. It's not just so that we have eternity. It's one of the reasons he saves us. But what happens when Jesus saves you? What happens when you give your life to Christ? What happens when you say, I want to follow Jesus? Is he takes you and he puts you into a body that he calls the church. And he calls it a family. And so whether you like it or not, (laughs) whether you agree with it or not, that's God's plan for you. God wants you to be in a family. And that family is called his church. The Bible talks about 116 times about ecclesia in the New Testament. And that just simply means, um, it means this, the, those that are called out of. And so the application of it is, as I was reading, that a lot of the old church theologians of many, many hundreds of years ago w- would define it like this. The calling out of God's people from their homes to gather in a different place. And so that's what the church is. It's when people give their lives to Jesus Christ and they realize that what, what, what the right response to this salvation is that I'm going to be part of a family and I'm going to gather together with them. And that's called the church. I don't know what your, your feeling is on the church this morning, sitting at home, but I think there's three things that we, we generally could feel. One is that we could be quite negative towards this thing called the church, this, this place called the church, because of our experiences of the past. And so we're Christians, but we don't have anything to do with the church because we think that people in the church are hypocrites. I want to just say to you, if that's you this morning, that's not God's plan for your life. God wants you to be a part of this family. God wants you to forgive and, and, and be forgiven and to be restored, but he wants you part of the family. You cannot live outside the family and say, I'm part of that family. It's not God's plan. The second is I find that people are quite neutral towards the church. And what I mean with that is that they, you'd come to church, but you don't really engage with, with the family. It's like you're part of a, a club in a sense. You know, on Sundays I go to church. But I don't really mingle or get involved in the church because Monday I do this and I don't really mingle involved and Tuesday I do that. And so you're very neutral. You don't engage. You, you don't feel negative towards the church, but you're also not fulfilling the mandate that God has for you as being part of this family. And then obviously the third one is people that really truly understand what the word is teaching. And that is to, to get engaged in this family that God has put you in and to live with it and to, and, and to enjoy it and to grow it and to be an active part in it. I think the church is an amazing place. I think it's the hope of the world. I'll tell you why I think it's the hope of the world. Because we represent the hope of the world. So the church can only be the hope of the world as we represent Jesus Christ. You see, it's a place where it doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what your education is. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter um, what your past is. It doesn't matter what your, your insecurities or your failures or your fears are. But it's a place where you come to find love. It's a place where you come to find acceptance. It's a place where you come to find purpose. It's a place where you come to find family. And it's not just a place where you come to find it. It's also a place where you come to give it. It's a place where I come to give love, give acceptance, give family, give purpose. And so there's a twofold responsibility when we we become part of this family. One is to enjoy the benefits of being in this family. The other one is to be one that gives the benefits of being in this family. 
I know that the church has caused lots of pain for many people. I know that divisions and quarreling, factions and dissension and gossip has, has broken down many relationships and hurt many people, isolated people, excluded them and rejected and made them feel rejected. And they've turned away from God. But I don't think that God's plan at all for his church. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, there's an illustration of what, what God sees the church to be like. And he, you all know it. You'll know it at home. It's the story of the body, that we've all got a part to play because we all have a part of this body. And the body functions when all the parts function together. And when you look at verse 12 to, to 18, you'll see there that it, it starts off, it says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many, they one body. So is it with Christ. And he carries on, excuse me, to say, yeah, that the, the, the hand can't say, I don't belong to the body. You know, um, and that the ear can't say, I don't belong to the body. And then Jesus, in verse 18, he says this, I mean, Paul, he writes this, he says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them he chose. And so the point is, and where I want to start with this morning is to say to you, you may not feel like you have a space in the body, but I want to tell you that it's okay. Because God chose your space in the body. God is the one. This is, it tells us here. God arranged the members in the body. And so you may be sitting here and you may be saying, yeah, but I, I, I'm, I'm an ear. I, I can't be in the body because it needs a hand. No, no, it needs an ear. It's your space. And so uh, I love the way that this, the, 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 Paul arranges this because he, he starts off the first few verses to point, the, to point the attention on us to say, we cannot say there's no space for us because it doesn't depend on us. God's already chosen that space. All we need to do is faithful and walk in the space that God's chosen for us. The second, as we unpack the next six verses, um, it's, it's where the, the, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. You know, and, um, and, and carries on like that, that the ear can't say to the feet, I don't need you. And in verse 25, it says this, that there may be no, no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And the point that Paul is making through this illustration is that although we can't say, I don't belong, because God's chosen the space, I do belong, we also cannot say to each other, yo, Victor, I don't need your gift in this church. Tammy, we don't need your gift in this church. You know, there's no space for that either. The ear can't say to the hand, I don't need you. No, I need you. Damn it, I need you. you know, we need Rolof. We need every single one of us. We have an integral part to play in the functioning of God's church. And so you, there's no reason for you to say, there's no space for me, and there's no reason for, for us to say, we don't need you. We need each other. And I wanted to start there this morning because I want you to see that there's a role for you to play in God's body, the church. And as we work through Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, I want you to understand that because I don't want you to be sitting at home or sitting and going, well, Nick's talking about somebody else. Now I'm talking to you because you're part of this body. You may not be functioning as part of this body, but you're part of this body because God chose that you'd be part of it. And so as we look at Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the call calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love here's the key part eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace and then we see that he's referring we to the church there is one body and one spirit 
Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all um, and in all. And so as we start to look at these verses, we start to see that Paul is urging us to consider what he's just spoken about. And he's urging us to respond in a specific way, and that is to maintain the unity within the Spirit through the bonds of peace in God's church. That's the nutshell of these verses. We can go home now. But what's he saying to us? This is a, actually a phenomenal portion of Scripture because when you start to unpack it, you see that Paul is urging us, he's begging us. Karen is like a, a lawyer standing before a judge and presenting their case and coming to the end and concluding and saying, Judge, because of everything I've told you, because of everything I've presented, I, want, I need you to, to respond in this way. And Paul is addressing us like that. He's saying, when you look at what I've just taught you over the last three chapters, when you look at Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and you understand what I've just taught you, there is a correct response. And I beg you, I urge you to respond in a particular way because of the understanding that you have now. What is that understanding? Well, he, he, preaches, uh, he teaches us in those three chapters really about the position that we have in Christ. And when you look at that, and you're going to have to read through that yourself because there's too much to cover in chapter 1, 2, and 3. But I'll give you some examples. He says that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in, in chapter 1, verse 3. What does that mean for you today? Whether you feel it or don't feel it, you are blessed by God. You have God's blessing over you. In every spiritual, every spiritual blessing is over your life, whether you like it or not, because you're a child of the living God. Listen to what he says in verse 4. You've been chosen by God before the creation of the world. That means that you are no accident. You are not here by chance. This tells us that before God created the third rock from the sun, if you remember that show, before the world was created, before the earth started rotating, he knew that he is going to have Richard in 2020 on this planet with a purpose and a call. And when you start to just think about that, you start to realize how much God loves and cares for you and how important you are to him. He tells us here that he loves us so much that he predestined us to, to be adopted by him. There are no orphans in the kingdom of God. Not a single one. The day you give your life to Jesus Christ, you get a father. And you know what fathers do? They love and they nurture and they protect and they provide. And whether you feel it or not, if you're in Christ, God is your father. And you're not an orphan. And you've got a father to love and to care, to protect and provide for you. He paid a price for you. He redeemed us. It means that your life has value. You are valuable to God. You're not cheap. You may feel like you've got nothing to offer. But in God's eyes, he paid the highest price for your life. Because you're so valuable to him. He's forgiven you all your sins. The Bible tells us in, in, in Ephesians 1.7, he says, and all your sins have been forgiven. You know, we struggle so much to forgive ourselves. We struggle too much, so much to get over the guilt of all our past and all the bad decisions we made and all the sin that's in our lives. But before God, when you go to him and say, God, forgive me of all my sins, the Bible says it's as far as the east is from the west. And actually there's freedom for you that you don't have to carry that guilt anymore because Jesus carries it for you. And this is what, what Paul is getting at. He says, when you start to unpack all these things I've been teaching you, and you start to see the position that you actually have in Christ, 
There's only one way you can respond. Because of everything that God's done for you. And he says that the response that is right is this, that you would walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So what's he saying? What's he talking about? Well, walk, it just means everyday life. It just means it's a metaphor for Christian life. It's, it's, uh, 1 John 1 says, walk in the light. It means that every day I'll walk in the light, not in darkness. So he's saying, make it a habit. Make it your normal life that you walk worthy of the calling. This word worthy is such an amazing word. It's a very challenging <laughs> picture that Paul paints here. Because the word worthy means to equal in value. It means if I've got 10 rand, yeah, I've got 10 rand, yeah. It's, it's worthy. It equals in value. Um, I hope the AV guys can put up on the screen. But you know those, um, those scales? One of those scales. This is the picture. And what Paul is saying, when you understand the weight that God has put on the one side of the scale, walk in such a way that you begin to balance the weight because of the, the way you live for God. And, and, and that's a very challenging concept because... How can I compare to everything that God's done for me? And that's true, we won't. But I think what Paul is encouraging us to do is work at it. Do the best you can to walk in a way where you start to balance the scales. What does it look like in our lives to balance the scales? Well, Jesus gave up his life for us. And so when you want to balance the scale, the Bible tells us that we die to ourselves and we live for him. We do exactly the same thing. The Bible tells us Jesus gave us 100% commitment. Well, to balance the scales, it means to take up my cross daily and give him 100% commitment. Jesus fulfilled his call, for example, by dying on the cross. You know what balancing the scales would look like? It would mean that I would make a decision that I'm going to fulfill my call to balance the scale of everything that Jesus did for me. God forgave me. He forgave me of all my sins. To balance the scales, I can forgive other people. And so you see that, that what Paul is asking is an individual response from each one of us. When we understand everything that God's done for us, that we would be, balance the scale of our life by living daily a life that is honoring and glorifying and committed to God, not because of duty, but because of this unbelievable understanding of everything that God's done for me. I have two daughters. There come days where I'd sit in my car, I'd be at home, and I'd think of them, and I think they're such a blessing in my life. I love them so much. And all I want to do is pour blessing back to them. I want to love them back. I want to buy them stuff, take them to Crest, and let them shop for 150 rand. <laughs> because my response to what they add to my life is I want to just give back to them. And that's the response that Paul is getting at. He's saying, when you understand what Jesus has done for you, the right response is a love response. Say, God, how do I respond to that? I just want to give back to you. The interesting thing is that why does he link it to the church? As I said to you, he then says that when you work, live in a way worthy, where you're balancing the scales, he then says the way to balance the scales is to keep unity in the church. So we, we understand that he's asking us to respond in a particular way in the church and for the church. I was thinking about that. I thought, if I was writing this epistle, I'd probably use evangelism, getting people saved. Surely that's more important. You know, or missions, maybe that's more important. Or feeding the poor. Why the church? And as I studied it and as I was praying through it, I realized that 
the church is important to God and to his and, and the church is on his heart and there's a good reason why it's the church verse 4 to 6 we see that he is talking about the body of the the body the church he's he's asking us he's urging us to balance the scales by committing our lives with the passion that Jesus had for you with the same kind of passion in trying to keep unity in the church there's two reasons I believe that this is important. The first one is this, that God has an eternal plan for the church. The church is not a holding place between Jesus dying and Jesus coming back. God has an eternal plan. It started when Jesus died and when the church formed, and it will continue into eternity. Listen, why do I believe that? Listen to Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. It says, making known to us the mystery of his will. Now, the mystery of his will is that all people will be saved, not just Jews, but that all people will be saved. That's the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So it started in Jesus. Jesus died and rose again. This, this, what he, this mystery started. And what is this mystery? As a plan for the fullness of time. So it's not just a plan for now. It's a plan for the fullness of time. Is to unite all things in heaven and earth under Jesus Christ. So God's plan when Jesus died is that every single person that gives their lives to Christ would become a family under Christ. And there's the point that in heaven we are still going to be a family under Christ. It's not going to be any different. We are still going to be the church united under Jesus. Ephesians 1 22, 23 says this, and he put all things under his feet. Listen, it's in the past tense. He put all things under his feet and gave him as the head of over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You see, the local church and the global church is a picture of eternity. It's a picture of what it's going to be like in heaven. If I had to ask you this question, what are our relationships going to be like in heaven? We'll probably say things like this. Well, we'll be united under Christ. We would love each other. We'd be patient with each other. We're not going to break each other down. There won't be division. There won't be segregation. There won't be discrimination because we are in heaven. Well, I think the point that we need to understand is that the church is supposed to be that now. That's what the church is supposed to be. That is the picture the, sh the church should have. is people under Christ that love each other, care for each other, despite of their race, despite of their gender, despite of their upbringing, their culture. It doesn't matter what their opinions are. It's a place where we love each other because we are children of God. There's an eternal purpose. And so God started something in Jesus that will continue for all time. Here's the good news or the bad news for you. If you can't handle the family called the church, it's going to be there for eternity. Best we start working on it now because God's got an eternal plan here. The second thing is that there's also a temporal plan for the church. That's this. John 17, Jesus is praying, and he's praying that we would be one like the Trinity is one. In verse 23, it says, I in them and, and you in me, and they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. You see, the gospel breaks down dividing walls. 
Ephesians 2, 14 to 16 says, For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and the commandments expressed in ordinances that we might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You see, the point is this, that the world teaches us that we should discriminate that we are separate, whether it's on whatever grounds, whether it's because of race, because of gender, because of where you've grown up, which country, what your culture is. And the world continuously divides us and divides us based on all these kind of things that define us. But you see, the Bible teaches us that when I come to Jesus Christ, my definition changes. I'm no longer a white 48-year-old male in South Africa. I become a child of the living God. That defines me. And so every single one of us, although we are different, although we have different colors, different ages, different cultures, the thing that unites us is that we are all children of the living God. And so Jesus, through the gospel, breaks down all these things that should divide us, and he unites us under this one concept that we are his children. You see, the world should be a the, the church, I believe the plan for God, the temporal plan for God is that the church should be a place where despite our differences, despite what the world patterns are about segregation and discrimination, the church should be the place where the world looks on and says, sees how people who are different love each other. How people who are different care for each other. How people who are different support each other. How diverse people can unite under a purpose, under Christ. And all these things that should be dividing us, in fact, don't divide us. They unite us because we are one under Christ. And the world should look at this and people in the world should say, I am so tired of being discriminated against and feeling that I'm marginalized, whatever the case may be. And I look at the church and I see it's so different there that I want to be in that place. The temporal plan of God for his church. It's the, the picture of true Christianity where you're loving your neighbor as yourself. And Paul writes in verse 3 that we should be eager to maintain this in our churches. We should be eager to maintain this unity. This place where people are loved and cared for despite of our differences, despite of our diversity. He gives us four keys very briefly on how that we can keep this unity within the church. He starts off with humility. Now, humility simply is the opposite of being proud. Humility is preferring others to be more important than you. It's about not being self-centered, not being self-interested, not being self-serving. How many times have we seen churches break up, life groups break up, ministries break up, friendships break up because we want it our way? And God spoke to me. And now, God, if God, you don't listen to me, then I'm going to not be your friend and I'm going to join another church. Where the Bible teaches us to be different, it's Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I should be listening to Victor and saying, Victor, I, I see your significance in the body of Christ. I may not agree. Let me hear what you're saying because it's important. Instead of just writing it off and saying, well, you're not agreeing with me, so you play there, I'm going to play there. The other one is gentleness. Gentleness simply means to be able to control great strength. 
The opposite of gentleness is anger and revenge and self-ambition. And when we see this in the church, we see that sometimes people, especially in life group, the same people come late every week. And you feel like you really want to give them a piece of your mind because they're late every week. You know, gentleness is when you say, I can, but I won't. I control my urge to want to correct them and, and blow them out the water. And I'd rather control them and come with a spirit of gentleness and love them. That's what gentleness is. He talks about patience. This word simply just means to have a long fuse. You know, many of us have got short fuses. You know, we get into our life groups and the same couple come out with the same problem that they had for the last six weeks. And your fuse is short, and so you just want to blow them out of the water and say, what are you talking about, man? No, you're not phasing. Where's your phase? And, and you just want to give it to them because now you're, we've got short fuses. But the Bible says in the church we need long fuses. Oh, let me pray for you again, my brother. We'll keep walking with you, my brother. It might take another month, but it's okay, but we're going to keep going with you because we are patient with you as we grow in our walks together. He talks about bearing with one each another in love. We've been so hurt in church because of the lack of love. 1 Peter 4.8 says this, Above all, keep love, loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And this is what he's saying. You know how we respond to those that hurt us and offend us in church? We take a blanket. I'm a ray. does something that offends me. I have a choice. I can run and break her down and break the church down. Or I can cover her with love. I'll take a blanket, for example. I'll put it over her. So every time I see Amore, I don't see the offense that she caused. I see the love that I should have for her and the love that I should have because I cover her sin with love. And so when I see her, I don't see that offense. I see the love that I should have towards her. The church is a place where there should be much love, much covering of love, covering of sin through love, much patience, much gentleness, much humility. I want to end this morning by simply saying this. What we should never see in God's church is all here is division of dissension, of factions. Because this is so opposite to God's intention for his church. We should never hear of a life group breaking up. We should never hear of Tim saying, Nick, I'm not, I don't want to be at the barn anymore because on Sunday you guys played a C sharp instead of a C, C minus. And so I'm leaving this church. That should never be in the vocabulary of, of a Christian who understands their role in keeping unity within the body of Christ. Nothing should actually separate us. I want to say to you that there's no verse in the Bible that teaches you that when you have a disagreement with a brother, that you should leave them. Every verse in the Bible that talks about a disagreement with a brother tells that you reconcile with them. And so when you think about that, where is there space for division? Where is there space for us parting ways? If the Bible teaches us to unite and work hard at keeping that unity Amongst ourselves. Romans 16, 17 says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the, to the doctrine that you've been taught. Jude 1, 19 says, It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, they devoid of the Spirit. The only way I can explain to you how harsh 
I think it is for Christians to, to divide the church is an illustration that is so real to us today, corruption. Why do we get so upset with corruption? It's because it's people that abuse their position for themselves instead of for the good of what they've been put there for. We get upset with government officials who do that. We get upset with teachers who abuse their positions and they abuse children. Why? Because they're abusing this position. They should be growing them and encouraging them and yet they're abusing them. We get cross with pastors and spiritual leaders who, who in their position use their position for their self-gain, for their self-interest. I want to ask you today, is it not wrong for believers who have su such an amazing position in Christ to use that position to break down the church? Isn't that the worst form of corruption you could find? And I wish we would get so angry with that kind of corruption as we do with corruption in our society. That there will be a passion that builds within us as God's church to say we, there is nothing, we will not stand for that kind of corruption in the church where people abuse this grace for self-interest and for breaking down this picture that God is trying to show the world of what it means to be in a family and his family. So in conclusion, Paul is urging us to understand everything that God has done for us. He's urging us to respond in a particular way, to walk worthy, meaning he wants us to balance the scales, the weight that God has done. He wants you to make a commitment to walk a life, to live a life where you're balancing the scales. And the place that he's, he's, he's encouraging us to do that is in the local body, in the global body, the church. He's encouraging us never to say things like, liberty's this, and NCCB is that, and that pastor over there is this, and this life group leader is that, and break. there's no space for that. There's no place for that. We are God's church. And God's got an eternal plan with his church. And God's got a temporal plan. And here's the key issue. Unity depends on you and me. We can make it happen, or we can break it. And so it's something, I don't believe it's something where we'll see this, uh, how do I put this, the Spirit of God, just come and do it. He's going to do it through you and through me. When we decide to walk in unity, and to protect eagerly and maintain the unity that there is in the body of Christ, and that there should be in the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your grace, and I thank you for everything that you've done for us. I pray, Lord, that that would sink into our hearts, the weight of what you've done for us, the weight of the position that we find ourselves in because we are in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us for the times that we have broken your body. We've said things about people and, and your church. Father, I pray that you'd help us to, to change that and to really become the people that you're calling us to be, that we would walk worthy, that we would balance the scales by walking a life where we are eager to maintain unity within the body of Christ, in our local churches, in our home cells, in our friendship groups, and with the global church, Lord. Help us, Father. I pray that your church would be a place that the world looks upon and marvels at the love and the acceptance that there is despite our diversity, Lord. I ask that in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.